0: The Handwriting on the Wall. The Handwriting on the Wall. There's a book that uh, Pastor LaRue bought a year or two ago that's written by an apostolic author by the name of David Norris. David S. Norris teaches. He's a professor at Urson Graduate School in the St. Louis area, Apostolic Bible College. He wrote a book called Life, Death, and the End of the World. And he talks about prophecy, he talks about different things, but he tells the story of a St. Louis pastor known as Pastor Ben. After a Tuesday night prayer meeting on November 19th in 1963, Pastor Ben prophesied, these are his exact words, I cannot begin to tell you what I saw tonight. I cannot reveal everything that God showed me, but there will be blood in the streets. It will shock this entire nation. You will not believe that this could happen in the United States. Three days later, Lee Harvey Oswald shocked the world by assassinating President John F. Kennedy. When the FBI and the Secret Service showed up on Pastor Ben's door, to question him and wonder how in the world it was that he was telling people about something that would happen three days later of national security. They showed up at his door and found that he had already passed away. Where did this inside information come from? Was he a Russian spy? Was he in cahoots with Lee Harvey Oswald? What? Happen. It's difficult to explain away prophecy like that. I don't understand how you can try to explain that away. And it's part of our Bible. There were prophets. If you read your Bible and you're interested in the Bible and you believe that it's truth, you read from prophets. There are whole books of this Bible that are prophecy. And it happened back then. And the gifts of the spirit still happen today. Prophecy is something that still happens today, and it happened through Pastor Ben. It was true with him, and it was true with Daniel. After Belshazzar's last act of blatant disregard for God's holiness, God wrote a prophecy on the palace wall that foretold that his minutes were numbered. All of Babylon's best and brightest. You remember when uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we talked about how he would call for all the wise men. You know, those wise, wise men that knew it all. That could not figure out what the Lord was trying to say through the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar turned to Daniel. Well, here we are again. Something supernatural is taking place. And the only person left to turn to is a man of God. They could not interpret it, but Daniel explained exactly what it meant and what would happen. He prophesied that Belshazzar's character would be weighed, found wanting, and his kingdom would be divided to the Medes and the Persians. And the the scripture said that that very night, that night that he prophesied, Belshazzar was slain. His kingdom was divided and Darius began to reign. God honored Daniel's righteous lifestyle. And this is a theme that we've talked about again and again. The people who live for God, who live righteous, even though everybody else around them is not doing it, at some point, it's gonna benefit them. Can I have an amen this morning? Amen. Amen. Everybody around you can be living a different way. But if you'll live what you know is right, at some point, God's going to bless. I wonder if there's somebody that says, I'm a living testimony of that. If you'll live it, God will bless it. Amen. Hallelujah. Lighthouses have become beloved landmarks in our world. I've been to Tybee Island and seen the famous lighthouse that's a landmark there that people will come around from miles and miles away to take pictures in front of. But ancient lighthouses weren't quite as extravagant. As a matter of fact, all they were was a big old fire that somebody put on the tallest hill. That's what it was. And over time they added to it. But the point was that ships and vessels would be able to sail safely as they come up on rocks and as they come up on the land. Sailors, fishermen, and other mariners depended on these beacons of light, especially when rocks and sandbars were present, could put lives in jeopardy. But as years passed, engineers changed the way that they were made. Instead of having to worry about keeping a fire lit, they changed to a light bulb, electricity. They built it up higher with the uh, lighthouse. And finally today we got the beautiful masonry that you see on lighthouses, just detailed, beautiful, extravagant. But the purpose of a lighthouse has never changed. It may have changed its form a little bit. It may look a, a bit different, but it's designed to shine a light so that the boats can sail safely. And today, we may be a little bit different in the way we live our life than when the apostles were. But God's not changed our mission. We're still supposed to be a light to this world. We're still supposed to be a light to this world. And we've got to be. And the lighthouse sends forth a light that cuts through the shadows. So our lives shine in the midst of a dark and lost world. Jesus himself referred to us as the light of the world. You are the light of the world. What does it say? A city on a hill, like a lighthouse, cannot be hid. Amen, we're to be a lighthouse. Daniel is a prime example of a great light in a dark world. I've not really got into or talked about, I wish I had the time to talk about the kind of nation he was living in in Babylon. I preached a whole sermon on it one time as to how Babylon really, really uh, is parallel to the end time world and the, the amount of sin and how they were changing lives, uh, lifestyles and moving people toward a more sinful lifestyle. I could talk to you about that today, but I'm not, I don't have time to. But Belshazzar was sitting here as the leader of this nation now. Daniel had been captured as a young man when Jerusalem was taken over as one of the new wise men. Because of his faith, and he never changed, he never became like Babylon, he was respected. They began promoting him and moving him up. And so even though he was living a lifestyle that was not like the people around him, God still blessed and promoted him and moved him up. This man, Belshazzar, let's talk about him for a minute. He was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. He became the king of Babylon, but he never acknowledged God. He never, ever, ever acknowledged God. One day, he prepared a feast, and he invited a great number of guests. So I want everybody to come out. And let's back up for just a second and understand a little bit. Many years before this feast ever happened, Moses was given instruction to build a temple, a tabernacle. And they were in the wilderness, and it was going to be a place where they could worship and sacrifice to God. And they had fine craftsmen under the order of God Himself make furnishings and things that would be used inside this tabernacle. Everybody remember us talking about the tabernacle plan and every item that you move through in prayer. You've got the golden lamp stand. Right, You've got the brazen altar. You've got the holy of holies, the holiest of holies. These different things. You've got the curtain, the veil. This is what he was ordered to build. And you've got uh, many vessels of silver and gold designed for one use. One thing alone. And that was for the worship of God. When they formed those things, when they made that golden lampstand... It wasn't so you could go out the back door and see down the street at night. That's not what it was made for. It was made for inside that tabernacle, worshiping God. That's all it was for. And so they designed it. Eventually, Solomon built a temple in Jerusalem where these articles would be used. But this was what they were made for. And when the Babylonians overpowered Jerusalem, they went in and took all those items and put them in storage, treated them like they were nothing and so when Belshazzar and his guests were high on the effects of the wine and the pride and their party. He ordered that his men would go get those sacred vessels that were once used in the tabernacle. And that they would bring them into the feast. And that they'd be used from his princes His wives and his concubines to drink from them and to get drunk. His order to have the items even brought into such an atmosphere, much less used for that, was blasphemous at the very least. At the very least, he was taking what God called most holy and using it for the most unholy. So you understand the anger that would arise from the Lord. You understand that. Belshazzar went a step further and mocked the worship that was intended for God alone. And he gave a toast to worthless idols in the presence of all those people. This extreme act, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar did some bad things. He was trying to kill the people of God. And yes, he had idols, but he didn't go and get the things that God called holy and make them unholy. I mean, this is a step even further. Now, I mean, I don't understand how come Nebuchadnezzar served God the rest of his life. He passed away and now all of a sudden he's got a descendant, Belshazzar, that is doing everything he can to dishonor God. I don't understand what happened there, but I can tell you this. If we don't invest in our descendants, Amen. If we don't invest in our kids and our young people and not just live it, but teach them. This is why we live it. You can make them live it. And that's one thing I've seen people I've. I've seen it happen. I've seen people try to make them do it and just make them and never teach them how and they never learn and eventually they turn away from it. But if you, if you get them into an altar and let them experience it for themselves yes. to where it gets deep down in their soul, let me tell you something, I was raised in this, but at some point it had to get down in my heart. And it was no longer mom and daddy telling me, well, this is the way we're going to do it. Now it was, this is the way I'm going to do it. Amen. And it got down in my spirit. Amen. And and there wasn't this big gap that happened. All of a sudden there was a big change. And now I'm living a different lifestyle. No, it got into my spirit. Amen. And and we need to let the Lord get into our spirit today. Amen. Deep down into our spirit. Praise God. And so this this all brought the disapproval of God. God had had enough. This This was too far. He gave grace to Nebuchadnezzar. And he would have given it to Belshazzar, but this was a step too far. And so he caught the attention of Belshazzar by revealing his own hand and writing words of judgment on the wall of the room that they sat in. So let's, let's all grasp this for just a moment right now, okay? Let's grasp this for a moment. Um, all of a sudden, in the middle of this service, an actual hand with fingers, the Bible says, appeared and began writing into the wall. And it doesn't say as to whether like it, you know, had something on the hand that was drawing it or whether it was like into stone. I would assume that's probably what it is, not unlike the 10 commandments. But nonetheless, it was clear and they were left terrified as, what was hap- as to what was happening at that moment That God was doing. This was something supernatural. And it was happening in the room that they sat in. The room that they were doing these unholy acts in. You know, we can't always understand the thinking of those who have no regard for holy things. While we observe blatant disregard for God's uh, precepts, his law what he wants for us, and we have grieving hearts as we see somebody do that, we've got to carefully refrain from condemning them for their actions. You could, if you wanted to, I know sometimes it'll make anger rise up in you because you love God and you don't want to see that happen, but maybe the worst thing you could do is go up to them and beat them over the head with it. That might be the worst thing. I'm not telling you this morning that you can't stand for the things of God. I believe that's necessary today more than it ever has been, but I'm talking about reaching people. I'm talking about reaching people. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is beat somebody over the head with their own sin. Amen. Amen. But to Belshazzar, these items were nothing but just more clutter in the closet. They meant nothing to him. They were utensils collected from the enemy's possessions and they were taking up storage space. And without the knowledge of their intended purpose, he had no regard for their significance and he just blatantly defied the God of their dedication. It must have been absolutely terrifying to see fingers appear and begin riding into the wall of his home. At first, they might have chalked it up to the effects of the wine. I mean, we know they were drinking plenty of wine. They may have chalked it up to that to begin with. But others came into the party who had not been drinking, and they saw it too, and confirmed that there was a handwriting on the wall. And when Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall, he was so frightened that his knees began to shake. He yelled for the help of his wise men and others to explain this paranormal activity, if you will, that was happening before his very eyes. And this is where we get the saying he or she saw the handwriting on the wall. Daniel, who was included in those wise men, was not too phased by the sight of this handwriting on the wall. That's what was interesting. He, his knees were not shaking. Because he knew who was doing that. And he served the one that was doing it. And amen. How wonderful it's going to be to be serving the God that is issuing punishment at the end of days. I want to be serving him. Amen. Amen. Because my knees aren't going to be shaking when that happens. I'm going to be worshiping. And saying thank you Lord. Thank you Lord for saving me. And thank you for your righteous judgment. Amen. How much better it is to serve the creator of the universe than it is to defy him. Hey Amen. I want to be found serving him. And so Daniel was instantly aware that it was a sign from God. And when things happen for which we have no explanation, like reports of ghosts or paranormal sightings, the first thing that we should do is assess whether it's a trick whether somebody is trying to get attention. Uh, let, let me help you understand, there, there have been people that have come into this church before. It's not that uncommon. That have come in trying to get attention by saying that something happened to them. They seen this angel do this or that. And this is why we need to discern the spirits. We need to use, use the Holy Ghost and allow it to give us a vision to see what is true and what is not. And if we ask God, he'll do it. He'll do it. But there there are people that will do that to get attention. They they really will. And we need to assess whether it's it's a trick, whether it's something that somebody's trying to do to distract or whether it's a message from God. And it's not in God's character to engage in some sort of paranormal activity for the sake of scaring people. God's not in the business of scaring people. It's not what he does that's not even what he was doing right here yes it was scary but that was not his purpose the bible says in psalms 145 and verse 17 the lord is righteous in all his ways glorious in all his works there's nothing that he does that is unrighteous or wrong he's righteous and he's holy amen and so every manifestation of god has a purpose all that he does Everything he's told you, everything he spoke to you, everything he's done in your life has a purpose. And many times he'll allow us to experience his visible power for the sole purpose of drawing us close to him. I've seen God heal people, but the healing was not the only purpose, the reason of the miracle. It was so that somebody standing by would have an increase of faith in him and they'd turn to him. They'd turn to him. Amen. Sometimes God has more than one purpose for what he does and we don't see it. God allowed his very hand to become visible for the express purpose of getting the attention of a heathen idol, idol worshiper to speak to him. He had a message to deliver to this nation and their king. And God still shows us visible signs of his existence all the time amen if you got up this morning and you walked out the front door and you seen any type of greenery anything that's alive and anything growing he's done that and that's visible to you to point you back to him amen hallelujah if you see God do a healing, if you see a manifestation of His power, it's because He's trying to draw you to Him. Yes. Amen. If you see somebody speaking another tongue that is the evidence that He's residing in them, it's visible evidence that He exists. He still does that today. Amen. And so I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you this morning that you're going to see a hand appear on the wall. If we see that, I may fall out too. Amen. But I am telling you that God will do something visible and work in your life. I know He will because He's done it in me. Amen. God will make Himself known to you. After hearing about the failed attempts to interpret what this writing on the wall was, the queen came to the banquet house with information concerning Daniel. It's understood that the queen was actually Nebuchadnezzar's wife. Nebuchadnezzar had passed away. And so this was what we might call the queen mother come into the room now. And apparently she was not in attendance at the festival since she came into the banquet house at a later time. She was aware of Daniel's history in the kingdom. She knew that he had interpreted dreams for her husband. And that at some point, because of Daniel, her husband had lived a righteous life. She knew about this. She knew that Daniel was the only man in the kingdom who could make sense of this terrifying moment that was taking place. If you remember, God showed incredible patience with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, the Lord was more patient than I would think he would be because he was reaching for the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel began to give a discourse about the prior king. And he revealed to Belshazzar, God would have done the same thing for you if you had done like Nebuchadnezzar and humbled yourself before God. You remember why? God drove him out of the kingdom to live like a beast in the field. Anybody remember? He was puffed up with pride like a Cheeto puff. Amen. He was puffed up, the Bible says, with pride. Oh, this is my kingdom, and I built this. This is all me. And God said, you're going to find out it was never you, sir. It was me all the time. And so I'm going to help you understand for a period of seven times and you're gonna live like a beast in the field. But when he came back, he lived a life of humility. He humbled himself before God. Belshazzar was as far away from that as you can possibly get. How different his life could have been if he had learned from Nebuchadnezzar's mistakes. This writing on the wall This was a decree of judgment that was long overdue. After years of tolerating disrespect and pride and rejection, God was going to release his judgment. And, you know, we can talk, I've said this before, we can talk all about the grace of God all day. And I love to talk about the grace of God, but he's also a righteous judge. He's also a righteous judge and he's just as good at judging as he is issuing grace. Amen. And we need to recognize that without knowing it, Belshazzar was the target for an assassination and his kingdom would be overtaken that very night. Now, what about this handwriting on the wall? Daniel didn't have to study on that writing very long to know its meaning. God revealed it to him. And what the message was. It was a message of doom. And he wasn't afraid to turn and to rebuke this king and to tell him exactly what he had done to insult the Lord of heaven. The words written on the wall have a literal Arabic meaning mean, mean, tekel, ufarsan. Mean or mina, tekel means a shekel, and ufarsan means half a shekel. They were all measures, measurements. And God revealed to Daniel the underlying message to number, to weigh, and to divide. Which meant, Belshazzar's kingdom has been numbered, it's been weighed, and it would soon be given to and divided between the Medes and the Persians. You know, God is long-suffering. He's very long-suffering. And he issues mercy, he issues grace, and he will work with those who have the potential to be worked with. King Nebuchadnezzar was a prime example of the grace of God, the overwhelming grace of God. Even though he was a wicked king, God knew in his, in Nebuchadnezzar's distorted mind, there was a glimmer of hope that he would repent and there'd be a conversion. After years of miracles, dreams, and warnings from Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar finally acknowledged the one true living God. And we have no record. You won't find a record after that happened in your Bible of him turning back to his old ways. That's not there. God wanted the same thing for Belshazzar. But he didn't share the same ideology. We see in Daniel's discourse that there was a digression away from God that Belshazzar made during his life at some point. I'm not going to read it to you. But in Daniel chapter 5, verse 17 through 29, you can find where he began to talk about that. His life was one of constant rejection. He was unwilling to listen to God. He was refusing of the help and mercy of God. And so God brought judgment. It was rightfully executed on a man in a kingdom that blatantly flaunted the disrespect for the living God. He disregarded God's ways, his children, his holy things, and his power finally met its end. The meaning of the prophecy came to pass and Belshazzar was murdered And his kingdom was overtaken God had given Belshazzar the number of his days and they were expired the regime to take over Babylon was already in place even as they were drinking even as they were sitting at the table the banquet together and they were partying and dancing the destruction was already at hand and it was just a matter of time before the kingdom would be overtaken all of a sudden soldiers stormed into the banquet room, the Medes and the Persians, and they murdered Belshazzar. And God's plan had come to a climax. They were successful in overtaking Babylon, and Belshazzar lost his kingdom. He lost his life. With precise details, the fall of Babylon to the Medes and the Persians was prophesied in Jeremiah chapters 50 through 51. We just see here that when God speaks a word, whether in judgment or in blessing, it will come to pass. Amen. And you know what? If we take this book, if we take this book, Sister Betty, and we go back to the very beginning and we find the first word that we know of him spoke speaking at all, let there be light, what happened? The mo- it, it didn't, he didn't have to go out back and stir up some light. The moment he said that, there was light. Yeah. His word went out and it was. Yeah. And not only that, his word went out, it was, and then he said it was good. Yeah. So here's what happens. Every time God speaks, yeah. every time, not just at the beginning, he speaks the word, yeah. it happens and it's always good. Every time. So 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 let me say this morning that if God speaks something to you, or if he has said it, it's going to happen and it's going to be good. That's the nature of his word. He said, Well, oh, it's not good if somebody gets murdered. Well, in humanity, no, but it's the righteous judgment of God. In the scales of judgment, it's perfect. He executed it just right. You know, there, there's a lot, there, in the news today, there's a lot of argument over this judge or that judge or whether they'll do right or this one will do right and put this one in, what's going to happen. You know, they can argue and talk about that all day long. That's fine. But when God steps to the podium to judge, it's never wrong. Amen. 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 You may have a problem with it. You may, and you just have a problem with it. He's still righteous. He's still good. Amen. He don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, he's a savior. Yes, he's a judge. Yes, he's a healer. He's all these things and he's the best at all of them. Amen. Amen, Matthew 12 and verse 36. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. we got to be careful about saying, God told me this. If, if, If he did, it'll happen. But if he never said that and we say, God told me, we're in danger of judgment. That scripture says it. For every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Amen. So Babylon became subject to the ruler of the Medes and the Persians. Darius, who was a Median ruler, became the new king. Mercy was not extended to Belshazzar. The time for mercy was up. And as the prophecy predicted, he was executed that very night. But, and This is the thing. I've talked about all these kings for like a month now. And that's been the focus of of our study. But I've not talked a whole lot about Daniel. God spared Daniel through every trial. He was retained as a noble. (laughs) Belshazzar is killed. And you don't know what's going to happen. The kingdoms, you know, who knows what the Medes and the Persians are going to do. They may turn this place into a joke. We don't know what they're going to do next. What happens? Daniel was retained as a noble under the rule of Darius. God's favor was on Daniel through his whole life. He served in two world powers under several different monarchs. And all the time, hear me this morning, remained faithful to God. And what happened because of it? He only ever benefited from it. Amen. And so you're going to have a new boss next week and you don't know what they're going to do. You just be the same person and be faithful to God and it's going to benefit you. We don't know what's going to happen in an election. No matter who it is, live the same life for God and he will bless you. Hallelujah! He was Daniel was an incredible person who survived dynasties and the overturning of dynasties. That people that had different leadership styles: Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and finally it would be Cyrus. Most kingdoms, when they were overthrown, all the leaders that was under that king would get overthrown too. A lot of times they'd line them up on the wall and be done with them. Rhetorical question, why did that never happen with Daniel? Somehow God allowed his reputation of integrity to reach the attention of the necessary power every time, every time to keep him alive and at work And when Daniel came in to translate the writing on the wall, he refused that king's offer of rewards. But when he successfully cleared up the mystery of the words that were on the wall, the king honored him anyway and awarded him a position of third in command over the kingdom that was about to be overturned. God orchestrated every single detail. Can I encourage you this morning that God is orchestrating every detail of your life? All you're required to do is talk to him. Don't stop talking to him. And when he opens a door, don't stand there. Walk through it. Amen. Amen. Just walk through it. It may be different. It may be a little scary. Just walk through the door that God opens. Daniel was not ashamed to honor God. And because of that, God graciously honored Daniel. Amen. I'm quickly coming to a close this morning and we're going to head into worship. But the world that we live in is corrupt and it's quickly moving toward ungodliness. I mean, if, if we're just being honest, over the past 60 years, our world has seen a decline in prayer and an increase in violence, addictions, increase... In all these things, crime has increased at an astounding rate and it's caused fear in the lives of people. We're living in a world that can, at a lot of times, be blatantly unrighteous. But in the midst of all of that, God has called everybody in this room to be salt and light. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, like Belshazzar, if it loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So, what do we do? Verse 16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our world needs us to embrace God's truth more now than it ever has. They're thirsty for it. There's people out there trying to make things happen. They think it's going to make it better. And it's not going to matter a hill of beans worth a difference. Because it's not what they really need. They need God. And as God honored Daniel in a world of idols... And false gods, he'll honor us if we keep our faith and we live righteous in an unrighteous world. Amen. Daniel saw surges of ungodliness and destruction. His faith could have wavered. You've seen a lot of destruction this year. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's a weird year, isn't it? I keep telling Sister Kirsten that one day our kids are going to ask us, what in the world happened in 2020? How in the world did you deal with that? You know? Destruction going on. Our faith can't waver. It can't waver. Daniel was a rock of faith. No matter the decree the king commanded whether to worship an idol or bow down to him, Daniel stood firm. And kings honored Daniel and he was promoted to high positions because of his strong faith in God. God wants to use his children today. You're you're a child of God. Why don't you just tell yourself that right now? I'm a child of God. I am a child of God and God wants to use you. Let's stand together this morning. Some Christians have seen great adversity in their lives. They've been met with persecution. But if we can rise above all of that, everything that life brings our way and focus on God, we will have favor just like Daniel did. And God will sustain us. My last scripture in teaching this morning, Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor any created things shall be able to separate us From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is going to help us stand for Him. Amen. And there's nothing you've come against or you're going to come against that's going to keep you from His love or help you, stop you from living for Him. All we've got to do is believe this and live this. Amen. It's not difficult this morning. I'm not going to make it complicated for you. It's His truth. And we just got to live it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands all across this room right now? Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Lord, I pray right now that you would help me. be.